Okay, so we're continuing our walking the Labyrinth Together series. And the Labyrinth, if we could show that picture, I just feel like it is such a beautiful reflection of our lives that, you know, Christ is in the center and we're just trying to make our way. Like we want it to be direct. We want it to be easy. But, you know, we kind of have to go back and forth and in and around. And sometimes we move and we hit dead ends. And, and that's just how life is, right? And so I love that we have this kind of metaphor or whatever, illustration. And today we're going to talk about how we walk, we're walking the labyrinth by ourselves, by myself, and how there's so much value in self-awareness. And self-awareness is really just the ability to monitor our thoughts, our behaviors, our feelings. Put simply, it's thinking about what we're thinking. We need to think about what we're thinking. And, and this is really the key to relationships. It's key to our relationship with God. It's key to our relationship with one another and our families and our workplaces. And it's really key to our understanding and, and our relationship with ourself. And, and the reason why it's key is, this, is, this might be hard to hear, but the reason why it's key is it's not just about the problem people in our lives. Right? When don't we think, oh, it would be so much easier if my, my husband would change or if my coworker would change? But it's not just about the problem people in our lives. Like, we all have issues. Okay? And I'm going to give you some examples of how this, what I'm talking about. So, growing up as a child, you know, I would read verses, and my Sunday school teachers would be like, you know, you need to worship God and you need to obey Him. And I was like, I had a hard time with that. Because I was like, what kind of God is, you know, he must be arrogant and selfish and so full of himself that he would say, worship, bow down and worship me. And I just like had an issue with that. But then as I realized, as I thought about what I was thinking, and I had some help, I realized that the feelings that I had about my authoritarian dad were being transferred onto God. Right? Because my dad was, do this and do that, have dinner at five, be home, to you know, and I'm like, ugh. And all those feelings, right? They were being transferred onto God. And so once I kind of realized that, like, oh, maybe God is not, you know. Then I was like, oh, I can really understand and start to see who God really is. He's not who I thought he was because I was thinking about what I was thinking. Another example um, is when I, I'm, I'm sorry, I probably tell the same stories over and over again. It's because it's I'm running out of stories, not because I'm losing my mind. I may be losing my mind, too. But anyway, <laughs> um, when I was a young adult, and um, I would date jerk after jerk after jerk. And then, so my conclusion was, all men are jerks. I mean, dating is hard, and I just think all men are jerks, right? And so, I, but not the men in here. No, 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 no. <laughs> okay. And so, <laughs> some people laugh too loud. Okay. Um, so I was like, all men are jerks. And then I started to think about what I was thinking. Really, can all men be jerks? And then I feel like I, the spirit was like, Lori, you know, maybe there's something about you that is attracted to the bad, <laughs> attracted to the bad boys. And I think I had some help from my friends telling me that. But it was like, oh, and once I realized that, then, when Paul, Mr. Good Old Mr. Midwestern Values, comes by, I was like, I could do something different. I, I don't have to date the same type of guy. And so, the rest is history. Okay. 
then as we got married and had kids, right? I I I know it's hard to believe, but I used to yell at my children a lot. And you know, Micah would look at me like, "What? She's going crazy." <laughs> you know, like what's going on with her? And I used to yell at them a lot. And and I was aware that I yelled at them a lot, and I would pray like, "God, please give me patience. Just give me patience." Or you know what? Better Help them listen to me and do what I say when I want them to do it. Like that, just please, Lord. And uh, it wasn't until later that I realized that I probably yelled at them a lot. When I started thinking about what I was thinking, I was just tired. But the reality was I was too tired to think about what I was thinking. You know what I mean? And so those are just kind of some examples of what we're talking about, of what it means to think about what you're thinking, about the value of self-awareness and how it helps us connect with God and others and ourselves. And so Pastor Sian and I, we thought it'd be fun to kind of do this whole walking the labyrinth together um, on the, using a tool called DISC. Because it's kind of a fun way to start thinking about what we're thinking and how, you know, it gives us a, a language to use as we kind of walk this labyrinth together. And so DISC is kind of like the Enneagram, if you guys have heard of that, or Myers-Briggs. It just has, like, it's very simple because we didn't want it to be a 20-week series. But it's just a very simple four-style, very high-level uh, tool that we can use to um, to help us walk through the labyrinth together. It's just a launching pad that we're going to use. It's to give us a shared language. We're going to have fun. We're going to be like, "Hey, what's your style? Your dominant style?" And we'll share. And we're just we're just going to have a lot of fun with it. And so uh, you guys should have the assessment if you want to take extra for your spouse, not to use as a weapon, but just you know to give your your spouse a language. Um, be sure to take one if you want to take some to your family. Um, go ahead and do that because next week I'm going to talk about how we can walk alongside one another and how we can understand each other's style. And then the week after that, Pastor Stan is going to give us strategies and tools to help us as we walk through the labyrinth. And then on April 14th, um, Pastor Tim is going to talk about how um, we can change. That's all. It's all about the transformation. So. Um, so be sure to, if you don't take the assessment, the next three weeks might be kind of boring for you. <laughs> so be sure to do that this week. Okay. So here are some points to consider before I lay out the whole disc thing. Nobody is just one style. Okay. We are all complex. We're not just one style. Um, and there is no best style no matter what I tell you <laughs> or what I think of myself, no. There's no best style. Each style has unique strengths and characteristics that really are to be celebrated. Um, each style is needed, and we have the capacity or the, uh, yeah, we have the capacity to adapt and use the right style at the right time, okay? And that each disc style is positive, but just like everything, if you, there's too much of the positive, it turns into a weakness, okay? So I'm going to tell you, I need the drum roll. Steve, get that. These are the four styles. There's the dominant, the influence, the steadiness, and the conscientious. And you, when you, if you Google this, you're going to find all these different words that are synonyms that start with the same letters. If you look at your handout, I use a different word, but that's just because it's a typo. Okay, <laughs> uh, so I'm going to describe each, each style. I'm going to share the characteristics 
and I'm going to share the motivators, their stressors, strengths, weaknesses, and their fears. And I want you to pay attention, not only for your own self-awareness, but we're going to play a game. Fortunately, each pastor's dominant style, we all have this, you know, a variety of the four styles, some more than others, but our dominant styles um, spell out D-I-S-C, so it's perfect. So you guys are going to have to guess which ones we are, so pay attention. Okay, we're going to go through this quickly, I'm sorry, but I don't want to run out of time. Okay, dominant styles, they like to get it done. They are... Um, Fast-paced, I think, do I have a slide for that? They're fast-paced, thank you. They make quick decisions, they confront problems, they're direct, they're results-oriented. Am I in the way? Sorry. Um, they like action, right? They're motivated by action, and they challenge risk, winning, results, and competition. And their stressors are details. Lack of control vulnerability, wasting time, and being questioned. That really stresses them out. Their strengths, they like getting results, focusing on solutions. They're dynamic and engaging. They make decisions quickly. They push for new accomplishments. They're encourage, they encourage innovation, and they give straightforward feedback. And the weaknesses of the dominant, there's tension, burnout, lack of structure and planning, difficulty prioritizing, overly blunt, impatient, and can be too aggressive. And their fear is um, being taken advantage of. Okay, so that's the dominant. Keep that in mind. Okay, influence styles. They like to get recognition. They're outgoing, enthusiastic, optimistic, energetic, passionate, and encouraging. Um, what motivates them is influence and prestige, freedom of expression, fun and celebration, learning new things, discussion, and brainstorming. Their stressors are disapproval, rejection, negativity, deadlines, delays, analysis, and evaluation. And their strengths are um, contagious optimism, open to change, creative problem solving, they motivate others, they promote ideas, and create a caring environment. Uh, their weaknesses are um, they're impulsive, disorganized, they lack follow-through, they're unstructured, inattentive to detail, and they may manipulate. And their fear is rejection. Okay, those are the influencer styles. Then there's the steadiness styles. They like to get along. Um, they're accepting and supportive, inclusive, they avoid conflict, they're easygoing, and they're calm. And what motivates them are clear expectations, sincere appreciation, flexibility, continuity, collaboration, safe, safe, safe space for expression, and time to process information. And what stresses them out is uncertainty, risk, sudden change, pressure, lack of planning, competitive atmosphere. No, competitive atmosphere. The atmosphere doesn't stress them out. Okay, their strengths are a high level of teamwork, diplomacy, empathy. They nurture the culture. They create stable environments. Um, they follow through, and they have this customer service orientation. And their weaknesses are they may be indecisive. They may be complacent, sensitive to criticism, fail to challenge ideas, and avoid critical feedback. And their fear is loss of security. So think about who is the steadiness style. Okay, conscientious style. They like to get it right. 
Um, they like questioning, curious, they're reserved, reflective, earned loyalty, punctual, task-oriented, and independent. They're motivated by challenges, structure, deliberation, logic, time to analyze, and systematic progress. They get stressed out by being wrong, criticism, incomplete information, forced interaction, illogical arguments, behavior, and low standards. And their strengths, they focus, they're objective, they have clarity, dependability, analysis, planning, precision, and accuracy, well-defined goals, and risk assessment. Um, Their weaknesses are perfectionism, maybe finding faults versus solutions, bogged down in details, uh, the lack of enthusiasm, reluctance to make decisions, Um, they may be overly cautious and closed off to outsiders. And their fear is criticism. Okay, so it's the dominant, the influence, steadiness, and conscientious. So I'm going to ask the pastors to come down. And you guys, okay, you guys have to yell out. We're going to stand in random order. Jordan and Daniel are going to help us. They're going to have the letters. And so maybe we'll start with, uh, we'll start with Stan. With the, you know, and then yell out, like, I don't want to hear just, you know, Paul Hirose and, like, you know, a couple of people yelling out. Like, you guys need to yell out as loud as you can so Jordan and Daniel know which, uh, which ones we are. Which, name that pastor. Are you guys ready to play name that pastor? Oh, my goodness. Are you guys ready to play name that pastor? Okay. Oh, no, no, no. No, but I changed it. I changed it. I know. Which one do you think Cox is? Yell it out. I. No, we're all D I S C. Who 
votes for C. Uh. No, you know what? We can't be switching. Then we're going to be here forever. <laughs> I'm like, sermon time is going away. Okay, ready? Let's uh, move around and be who we really are. Let's do it like a game. <laughs> Here, take this. Make it fun. Oh, is it that? Oh, no. It's this. It's this. It's this. Oh, you are there. We're a disc. Cause is. I know. Let's let's give the D to Cardo. Yay! Okay, thank you, thank you guys, thank you so much. Okay, that was fun. That was fun. Took more time than I thought. <laughs> okay, so that was fun, and that's what our goal. My as an influencer, I wanted to make it fun, but now we're gonna go into the. Uh, C mode. You know, now we're going to go into the S mode. We're going to try and go a little bit deeper. You know that because thinking about what we're thinking, right? It's hard. It doesn't come naturally. It's uncomfortable. And we might like uncover some things that are really like unpleasant that we don't really want to deal with, that we're not good at dealing with, that we're not used to dealing with. But I love... Um, Psalm 139, because that really shows God isn't just like, yeah, become self-aware and you're on your own. He really wants to come alongside us. He really is intentional about pursuing us and that he gives us the love and grace that we need that will give us the courage to think about what we're thinking. And so I can't think of a better um, scripture than Psalm 139, because it was written by King David. And if you remember, King David is the one who, you know, he was brave. He was faithful. He defeated Goliath. Like he was king. He was anointed by God. He was just this awesome, brave man. And at the same time, just like many of us, he made choices that didn't trust in God, right? Where he showed he didn't trust in his love and God's love for him. And he did his own thing, right? He, he abused the power that he was given. He committed adultery. He committed murder. He was like the worst father in the world. He was not there for his kids. And so I love that in scripture we see, you know, he's not just this hero that's unattainable, that we see that David is human. And Luke tells us in Acts, in Acts that he was a man after God's own heart. That he really felt like he had this special relationship with God. And so as we look at Psalm 139, you know, a lot of us go to that because we think, oh, we, we want to think about God's omniscience and his omnipotence and his, his all, I just changed the, the O thing. You know, how he knows everything, right? He's all-knowing. And, and then, or we think, oh, well, we like 130, Psalm 139 because it talks about how he created us. And, and I think that those are all really good reasons to go to 139, Psalm 139. But another um, perspective of, of Psalm 139 is, is that it's a beautiful piece of poetry that is written by a man who has a heart, you know, a man after God's own heart. And he's expressing how he feels about God as an expression of this intimate and special and precious relationship that he had with God. It was a personal connection. 
And so let's let's look at it. Psalm 139.1 says, You have looked deep into my heart, Lord, and you know all about me. You see, he's, David's not just talking about how God is all-knowing. In, in, from David's perspective, it's like God has intentionally chosen to look deep into David's heart and to know, he wants to know what David is thinking. Like that's how precious David feels. Like God has chosen to look in my heart. You know when I'm resting or when I'm working. From the heaven you discover my thoughts. You see, David praises God because God keeps special watch on David. And it's not like how we have our phones and we're looking, is anyone stealing our packages from Amazon on our porch? It's not like that, right? It's about, from David's perspective, you know, God is far away. He's in heaven, but he keeps watch over David. He wants to know what he's doing. He's interested in David. He wants to know what he's thinking And this means so much to David that even though he's far away, God is close by and he keeps watch. Verse 3 and 4 says, You notice everything I do and everywhere I go. Before I even speak a word, you know what I will say. And so God knows what David is doing and he watches, but not like Santa, right? Where you better be good or bad or or be good for goodness sake, right? He's not counting and like, what are you doing? It's more like... He just wants to know. He's very personal. He knows David so well. Like he just he knows what he's going to do even before he does it, because he not because he knows everything. I mean, which he does, but it's because he knows David so well. Like God can finish David's sentences, not just because he's uh, you know knows it, but because he knows David so well that he knows what he's going to you know the. He can finish his sentences. He knows what he's going to say even before he says it. And go, we can go on. And with your powerful arm, you protect me from every side. I can't understand all of this. Such wonderful knowledge is far above me. Where could I go to escape from your spirit or from your sight? If I were to climb up to the highest heavens, you would be there. If I were to dig down to the world of the dead, you would also be there. Suppose I had wings like the dawning day and flew across the ocean. Even then, your powerful arm would guide and protect me. Or suppose I said I'll hide in the dark until night comes to cover me over. But you see in the dark, because daylight and dark are all the same to you. In this passage, it can be very reassuring. But depending on the day and what you did, it could be very scary, Right? Like, oh, I don't want God to see what I did today or what I thought today. But that's not the point that David's trying to make. David is so touched by God that he is so far away. He's in the heavens. And yet God is just so interested in, in, in David. That even if David were to try to run away, God would never leave him. God would never abandon him. God is always going to be there to protect him and guide him like it's that personal connection that they have he'll never abandon him he'll always be with him no matter what and then in verse 13 you are the one who put me together inside my mother's body and i praise you because of the wonderful way you created me everything you do is marvelous of this i have no doubt nothing about me is hidden from you 
I was secretly woven together deep in the earth below, but with your own eyes you saw my body being formed. Even before I was born, you had written in your book everything I would do. That means so much to David. That God loves him and is for him, and that he was even involved in his formation and in his growth. That even when, you know, like as a mom, I don't, you know, like, you know, we, we can't see our babies as they develop, but we're always thinking about them. We're always caring about them. We're always like, oh, is this healthy? Oh, should I eat this? We just, you know, are they in a safe environment? Like, that's how God thinks about us and David. 17, your thoughts are far beyond my understanding, much more than I could ever imagine. I try to count your thoughts, but they outnumber the grains of sand on the beach. And then I awake and I will find you nearby. A better translation would be, how precious are your thoughts about me? How precious are God's thoughts about David? David is overwhelmed just knowing that God continually thinks about him. David is just amazed that this God who is far away thinks about him, thinks that he's special, and thinks that he's so precious. In verse 19, how I wish that you would kill a cruel, you would kill all cruel and heartless people and protect me from them. They're always rebelling and speaking evil of you. You know I hate anyone who hates you, Lord, and refuses to obey. They are the en- they are my enemies too and I truly hate them. I love that David's is like, you know, this, he has this reoccurring theme in, in, in all of his psalms that, that he hates the enemy, you know, God's enemies. And he's aligning himself with God. That God's enemies are David's enemies. And that's a result from the intimate and close connection that they have. It's because of their relationship. Then the last two verses, look deep into my heart, God, and find out everything I am thinking. Don't let me follow evil ways, but lead me in the way that time has proven true. You see, David is so confident in God's love for him, maybe because of all the experiences that he had and, and all the times that he, he you know, did well and celebrated and all the times that maybe he sinned and felt God's grace and forgiveness and even when he felt like the worst person in the world he still experienced God's love and and all of those experiences with God helped him to, to be confident and trust that God loves him that God will always protect him that God will never abandon him and so he's so confident that he's like okay God I challenge you I invite you, and you intentionally want to look deep into my heart, but I challenge you to come in. I want you to come in and test my ways because I want to have that close connection with you. Like it's about that relationship, and he wants God to be intimately involved in his life. And so as God pursued David, he does the same for us. As God, like, wants to, how he intentionally digs into our hearts because he wants to know David, he does the same thing for us. And I pray and I hope that, that over the next three or four weeks that we can really grasp that and that, that knowing his grace and his love and he's for us and that there's nothing we can do that could ever separate us from him, that that would give us the confidence and the courage to start thinking about what we're thinking 
that even when it gets hard and it's like, oh, this is too hard or, oh, I don't have time or, oh, this is unpleasant, that we would be reminded of who God is and how he loves us and how precious we are to him. May that really, you know, may, may we know that, that he's for us, that he's not ever going to, like, try to take advantage of us, that God will never reject or criticize us, that those critical and fearful thoughts that we may be hearing, maybe they're not from him. Maybe we need to think about what we're thinking. Help us, you know, that I hope we, we can remember that that. In him we find security and safety. In him we are affirmed and found precious. Even when our thoughts may say otherwise. And may God's love give us confidence and courage to do the DISC assessment this week. To look through the characteristics, what motivates us, what stresses us, what what our strengths are, what our weaknesses are, what our fears are. Because thinking about what we're thinking is key to moving towards the center of the labyrinth. It's, it's the key to, to moving closer and having that close relationship with Christ. It's the key to having the life that we were meant to have, that God desired for us, a life of freedom and joy and peace. Let's pray.